This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Equity Minds! I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you can. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this episode for three big reasons. Okay. We're back in the studio. Yes. We're double-vaxxed. Yes. And we're taking our Mondays back. (laughs) We're taking our Mondays back. That's right. We're getting back to some AM chat, the good old days of just uh, talking about what's on our radar when it comes to the world of investing and finance and business. And uh, today we've got four big topics to get through. We're going to have a look at what is going on in worldwide shipping, uh, People's Australia Post taking longer than expected. We're going to chat about uh, active managers struggling, the metaverse, and can Bitcoin reach that 500k mark? Yeah, you, you love to hear that. Oh, I'd love to hear that. I'd love to see it. <laughs> but uh, let's let's get stuck in. There's a lot happening in investing markets. We've obviously had a very busy schedule and I haven't had a chance to cover all of this. So we're going to try and hit a number of these topics in this episode. So you wanted to talk about shipping. In fact, you were insistent that this episode covers shipping. I know you're... Uh, Thirstily waiting for a few Australia Post parcels, so <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's top of the list for you. So given, let's, let's start there. Yeah, well, given your lack of e-commerce shopping, uh, you're, prob- <laughs> you're probably unaware of what's going on. I, I wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> In fact, I don't think Australia Post even delivers to your they, house. They actually don't. It's been a real frustration. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, look, COVID no doubt is significantly impacting both international and domestic sp- supply chains. Well, in Australia... Uh, we all are aware of what's going on with Australia Post because no one is receiving their packages on time. Uh, 500 Australia Post workers are in isolation at the moment, so they had to pause their parcel uh, pick up from e-commerce for three days. To me, that doesn't really make a lot of sense because then there's just going to be backup on backup, but 
you got to do what you got to do. I'm not. Yeah. Qu- I'm not questioning it. And, and I also think that probably it probably makes sense to them those <laughs> inside the bu- building. Fair, fair call. A, a really unfortunate timing for us because it was announced the day after our book sold out on Amazon and Booktopia. I know it's a real yeah. It's, <laughs> but uh, if you are waiting for a book, it will come. It will come. It will come. We have no idea when. <laughs> <laughs> so if you got one. Congratulations. But also, not only uh, OzPost um, closing down for a couple of days, but online orders are now at Christmas levels that we saw in 2020. Um, e-commerce for online is up 473% in terms of parcels coming through OzPost. So, huge uh, impact on supply chains uh, here in Australia. But I'm more interested at what's going on at a global level because it's not just Australia Post, Ren. The economic reopening after COVID that we saw in America and Europe has just spurred demand for goods and raw materials. We've seen, you know, housing, raw materials, inputs um, drastically increase uh, and these supply chains are now coming under a lot of stress. But not only that, the virus now continues to disrupt, um, you know, significant areas of the supply chain. So we're seeing workforces impacted. um, We're seeing crews on uh, ships getting COVID and having to get turned around. Um, and there's no better example of that than what's going on in the Californian ports at the moment um, with ships being turned around. I think there's 56 ships sitting out at sea in California. Mm. So it's pretty um, interesting what's going on, but I think the biggest sort of investing lens for me is what impact is this having? Yeah, well, I think there's there's a few a few more things, but I think to separate what you're saying, there's a demand side, which is people like you are just sitting at home ordering stuff online all day, and the demand is surging. Yeah, and then there's a supply side, and international shipping picked COVID wrong. They forecast that COVID would depress international shipping, and then it really picked up, and they they were surprised by it, and they're still recovering, and there's just unbelievable queues, but. I think the cost of moving a container from China to Europe has jumped 600%. Yeah. So just like crazy cost increases. But there's also all these other unforeseen things. Like there was that explosion at that Chinese port, Mm -hmm. uh, Tianjin, Mm -hmm. uh, which is like one of China's main shipping ports and stuff like that. It's just like everything that could go wrong on the supply side has gone wrong on the supply side. And to put that um, price increase into perspective, that is uh, over the last year alone that 600%, um, and that's the highest it's been since 2008. And anywhere you look online, if you want to dig a bit deeper into this, you know, and and have a look at what's going on, the flow-on effect of that is obviously increases in prices because if old Joe Bloggs in a shoe warehouse here in Australia is trying to import all of this uh, product from China or from, from Europe or wherever it may be, but the cost of shipping every few months is increasing 100%, 100%, 100%, then we know that that's going to have flow-on effects well, let's, with pricing. Well, let's put a pin in pricing because there's some stuff more generally that I want to talk about, but let's focus on shipping. So I'm an investor in 2021. I don't want to buy an NFT or Dogecoin. I hear that shipping is going to the moon. <laughs> shipping. Yeah, shipping's the next big thing. What, what, what's, a, what's a poor investor to do about it? Well, look, the boat may have sailed on this oh. one. <laughs> But if you were lucky enough to uh, recognise what was going on a year ago, uh, I had a look at some of the performance of some of the big shipping uh, companies around the world. So the biggest is AP Moller Maersk, and they are swimming in profits. They've increased their profit estimates by $5 billion. Uh, That's uh, 
pretty incredible to go to the market and say, hey, we've, we've got, kind of got the profiting wrong. We're bumping it up by 5B. Put that in context, though, like as a percentage. Is that like 1% of their That's overall up profit? 100%. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, up 100% <laughs> over the last year. The third largest carrier in the world, CMA CGM, they have said that they're freezing their spot rate when it comes to what they're charging to preserve their long-term client relationships. So that actually means they're saying no to any further profit from here. They're, they're saying that if we increase our prices any more, we are at risk of actually losing customers because it's just such an increase that it's putting demand on their customers. So pretty, pretty impressive. But then I also had to think, well, what, what does it mean for retailers here in Australia? We know that our book's sold out and it's really hard to get access to, to product. And if you're trying to buy things for Christmas yourself, you might find that they're A, not available or huge delays. Yeah. What, weren't like Amazon or someone saying, start buying Christmas presents now? Now. Yeah, yeah. they are. They're saying, don't wait till December. I mean, good marketing you're tactic. Seriously, rookie, good marketing <laughs> tactic. But Kogan.com, we know that he has significant stock, excess stock. He kind of got COVID wrong in a way. Yeah. And he and told, just, he spoke about that when we interviewed him. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's not shying away from it. Yeah. This might play into his favor. As a retailer here in Australia, he's got stock and he doesn't need to be waiting for too many suppliers to be giving it to him from overseas. So maybe less impacted by supply chain. So keep an eye on how that plays out amongst other e-commerce retailers here in Australia. Yeah, but it's it's two speed because even if he's got stock in warehouses, if Australia Post and DHL and FedEx can't get it to your door, he's got a supply issue. He doesn't have bricks and mortar stores that we can go to. No, but he'll at least have the stock. Some suppliers might say we've actually can't get these TVs into Australia in time. So yeah, we're just going to take them off. Yeah. But anyway. A lot going on, so that's that's kind of high level. Uh, the big shipping companies are just, you know, really uh, reaping the rewards, I guess. Yeah, and in terms of how long this will take to unwind, people expect it will take a while. I mean, some people are saying 2022, some people are saying 2023, but really this supply and demand equation needs to equalise. Like, it is out of equilibrium right now, and either demand needs to come down to sort of more normalised levels but I think shopping habits will die hard. Like shopping habits will have changed in this pandemic. So if demand remains elevated, supply needs to catch up and it will, but you know, ships were put in dry dock and were being repaired and now they're coming back online and you know, they need to get containers to the right place. China needs to rebuild this port that exploded. Like there's a lot of things and then that backlog just needs to clear, but it will unwind in the same way that lumber unwound, uh, unwind and unwound. (laughs) (laughs) Like lumber, if you remember earlier in this year, just yeah, went yeah, to the yeah. moon as well. And that was because Canadian lumber mills got COVID wrong as well. Or were they shut down and then they didn't reopen quickly enough? Uh, home building demand skyrocketed in the US. They couldn't get enough Canadian lumber. So prices just went to the moon. Um, but mills came back online. They caught up. The supply side caught up with the demand side and prices have come back down. It will happen. You know, the cure to high prices is high prices. If prices stay high, more supply comes online and and supply and demand equalise. Well, speaking of prices, this then uh, begs the question and uh, we should probably have a chat about 
What does this mean from the point of view of inflation? Yeah. Now, inflation is a big narrative that's happening more in the US than in Australia. But uh, as with everything culturally and economically, what starts in the US seems to uh, seep out around the world. So the inflation story is one of the big stories in the US and you're seeing it across the economy over there. Mm. Shipping, which you just touched on, is a big contributor to it because it raises the price of raw materials. Yeah. It raises the price of inputs across the economy. When we're seeing outputs, like the, the cost of food, uh, especially meat in the US, is just going through the roof. It's pretty unbelievable. Um, the Biden administration had some like uh, adjusted inflation metric, which there were a bunch of meme pages um, uh, referring to, like similar to what WeWork did when it was like community adjusted EBITDA. Uh, and we weren't trying to go public. What they do? They just like stripped out a whole bunch of key buckets of uh, like from like the CPI petrol, index, yeah, like, and like food and stuff, like what? meat and stuff like that. And they were like, if you take these out, inflation isn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> but um, shipping is a key contributor to inflation. But the other one that I think is really important to watch is wages, because mm. if we talk about things supply and demand being out of whack. In the US at the moment, the supply and demand for labour is out of whack. There is just a desperation to get to get people into a massive jobs. La- Isn't there a labour shortage? Labour shortage, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And labour shortage, but then also high unemployment and a lot like there, it's just like the dynamics of people taking government assistance and not going back to work or people being able to like leave jobs and like the lab- labour mobility is at an all-time high and these are all good things. But what it has meant is that prices for labour are just going up. So Amazon obviously raised their wage to 15 a few years ago, like pre-pandemic, and that's had massive ripple effects. There's some really interesting economic studies that are coming out that show how Amazon, because they're so big, they basically set a price floor in communities. Mm. And you can see when Amazon, with their $15 minimum wage, open a new warehouse in a new community that lifts wages everywhere because now all of a sudden every employer is competing with Mm. that $15 minimum wage that Amazon is offering, Um, which is great to see in the States. Um, But Amazon have just announced they're hiring another 125,000 workers with an average starting wage of $18 an hour, so they continue to raise wages. A lot of other big businesses are responding. So Walmart have raised their minimum wage three times in the past 12 months. Their their average starting wage, I think, is now in, in the 16s. And you've got to remember that U.S. national minimum wage is like $7, $7 or something. Yeah. yeah. Target followed suit. Uh, a bunch of un- other companies have followed suit. But then what companies are doing is then they're so desperate for labor, they're throwing in other benefits. So Walmart ha- have announced they're paying the college tuition or willing to pay the college tuition of all 1.5 million employees. Wow. And college tuition in it the is States expensive. is expensive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Target then followed suit, Chipotle have followed suit. A bunch of other companies are now basically just throwing money at labour to get them in the door. But is the shortage because people just don't want to go back to their old jobs or like is it because there's so many new jobs coming online? It's because they're all trading NFTs. Yeah, well, (laughs) (laughs) that's the thing. Uh, it's, It's multiple factors. Like a lot of people don't want to go to their jobs because... Well, there was concern about COVID and stuff like yeah, that yeah. and there was government assistance. So it was like, I don't want to take that risk. But also the, the labour market is so hot. There's so many opportunities outside of minimum wage at Walmart or Chipotle or Target and stuff like that. 
So yeah, it's it's multiple reasons. But if shipping is a key input across the economy, labor is also a key input across the economy, and um, they're both very hot at the moment. Yeah. So I think to close out this inflation conversation, what does it mean as investors? I, I think you just have to be ready that inflation is is back in the US and how yeah. is it transitory is it a base effect or is it here to stay are all open questions will the labor market find an equilibrium and level out will the shipping market similarly return to a sort of you know normal level they're all big questions at the moment but right now there's inflation and you got to invest accordingly so companies that can raise prices or you know that are in uh, industries that are growing faster than inflation um Avoiding, uh, you know, like commodity products that are price takers, not price makers. You know, all, all that, all that sort of core investing stuff. When it comes to investing in inflation, don't invest in bonds unless they're like inflation protected bonds, Floating, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, don't leave your money in a savings account. No. The last <laughs> don't go zero point zero one percent interest. Apparently, in the states, the average interest rate at a bricks and mortar bank on a savings account six basis points. Wow. 0.06% interest. Sounds like similar to here in Australia. Yeah. And then you I haven't think- done my research in Australia. <laughs> anyway, i um, going to leave you with uh, a bit of a quote from Naval, a big thinker on – check him out on Twitter, at Naval. He says, the paradox of inflation is that employment, investment, and wealth all boom – before the house of cards collapses. So just leave you with that to ponder. Oh, how deep from <laughs> Yeah, No, from Naval, I, yes. Um, we'll leave it there and we will move on to have a chat about why active managers are really struggling at the moment. But before we do, we'll just take a quick break. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. So, Ren, we all, we've spoken about active management versus passive investing here on the show plenty of times and the big debate around whether or not it's worth paying the fees when it comes to you know, putting your money with some active managers. And there have been times where they've done really well. There've been times where they have certainly underperformed. We know that some 90% plus of active managers struggle to outperform the market. And we're really starting to see that at the moment. 
Yeah. I, I want to take you back to the early 1990s and 2000s. If you're a hedge fund manager, you were a god. Like, you were a billionaire. You were seen as, like, you know, the not the king of the world, but, like, there was there was some term which I've forgotten. Um, but The Wolf of Wall Street? No, it was, like, uh, I, I can't remember. But, like, hedge fund managers were, were it when it came to markets. And you saw people come up, like, Dalio, Ackman, Greenblatt, uh, Cut me saying, ah, uh, like those those guys, those names that we all know, like they got it when the going was good, and they became billionaires off the back of being hedge fund managers. Who? When's the last time you've heard of like a new superstar hedge fund manager come through? Kathy Wood. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, mm. but she's uh, uh, she is active. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frazis. Frazis. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's tough. It's tough to be an active manager right now, and. Bridgewater, which was Ray Dalio, well, which is Ray Dalio's firm that he founded, Bridgewater Associates, they're kind of the canary in the coal mine for a lot of this stuff. So Bridgewater's assets reached $160 billion a few years ago, biggest hedge fund in the world. But as the market just keeps grinding higher and as the index keeps outperforming a lot of these active managers, uh, Bridgewater is struggling. So Bridgewater lost $12.1 billion assets under management last year, um, redemptions um, from people who don't want their performance. One of the biggest pension funds in the US have just put them on notice. Um, a $21 billion pension fund, the Orange County Employees Retirement Systems, is considering pulling their money out of the hedge fund. And the report got leaked, and it's just an interesting look at how these active managers are underperforming. So... Orange County Pension have been invested in Bridgewater since 2005 and they've earned 4.5% per annum. That's awful. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah, not great. Not <laughs> from Bridgewater? Great. From Bridgewater, yeah. You'd be spewing after fees? Uh, I assume after fees, yeah. So that's uh, roughly 2.5% less than the benchmark index. So if they just put it in like an S&P 500 index fund, I assume that's the benchmark index, they would have done – 250 basis points better. better yeah. yeah. Um, the Bridgewater strategy has only outperformed the pensions target once in the last five years, and Bridgewater strategy has lagged when it comes to both a seven-year and a 10-year time frame. It, yeah, uh, that's fascinating. I mean, this is one of the struggles of uh, being active manager, though, that if you, uh, if you have the pressure from these pension funds to be delivering whatever their target is year on year – and they don't give you the the luxury and beauty of saying we want this. Well, I guess they haven't hit their ten year time yeah, frame. 10 anyway. years. Yeah, ten years. Like I, I get the whole long term thing, but ten yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. But also, like you have to say that if people want to be long term investors, they can just buy passive. Mm-hmm. Like part of the reason that you go active is because you, you want to want see more. that year on year outperformance. Yeah. Okay. I guess the the interesting thing to watch here is. People expect, uh, I guess, a bit of a snowball effect with some of this stuff. If some of the big name pension funds or endowments pull their money from active, more will follow. I guess the question is, where are they putting it after they pull it? Great question. Right now, I think a lot flows into private equity and then a lot flows into passive products. Yeah. Yeah. So private equity is the uh, is the go-to spot for endowments and pensions at the moment. Yeah. Just because they're, they're the ones getting the returns. They're getting the hedge fund-like returns in- you know, hedge funds were getting these returns in the 90s and now early 2000s. Now it's PE boys. Now it's PE. 
some point PE will be oversaturated and, you know, the, the opportunity. Just going to be the passive boys. Yeah, well, <laughs> the passive boys and girls do well. They do very well. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the market moves in cycles and, you know, different different strategies outperform at different times. And no one's saying that uh, pension funds and endowments are going to go to 0% active management. But I think that era of the Ray Dalios being the superstars of the market is over for now. Um, and who knows, maybe it'll be like some of the PE boys. What's going to be interesting when I think about this is, you know, because the same, if you look at what's happening here in Australia, one of the best performing fund managers for a very long time has been Magellan. They've drastically underperformed the market in the last 12 months. Uh, but then you speak to experts in, in, the, in the markets and they'll often s- sort of couch that in, oh, but these guys generally perform better in down markets and that sort of stuff. But I guess you have to ask yourself how long you're willing to forego uh, market returns to have your money with someone that is potentially going to outperform when the market is uh, is trending down and trying to pick that point is is very difficult. So yeah, it's it's fascinating what's going on. For me, forget kind of stock picking at the moment because the market is absolutely just ripping and there is nothing wrong. I mean, if you've been in an index since 2009, if you've been in an index since the, the bottom of um, the what was it, March 2020, um, you'd absolutely be tearing up yeah. in your portfolio. We did a we did a social post on Instagram looking at a bunch of the global fund managers earlier this year, and a lot of them have underperformed. The global MSCI uh, benchmark did like 28.5%, and tough to beat that. But I think as retail investors, it's great. Like you don't you don't have to overthink this. The when the market when the index is driven by Four or, four or five tech companies that are trillion-dollar companies but seem to have unbelievable growth runways ahead of them, you don't have to think that much. Mm. You're looking, interesting to look at the 13F of Bridgewater to actually see what they're invested in. You can do that. I will. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring that next week. <laughs> yeah, look, so there's – for me, yeah, forget stock picking really at the moment, just – Obviously. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, like, when we were doing some interviews for the book, uh, I would say that I have a satellite, core and satellite approach where I put passive and then I have, uh, like, uh, individual stock picks in my satellite portfolio. And I would say I don't think I can beat the market. And people would laugh at me and they're like, why are you doing it? And it's like, this is why I don't think I can beat the market because Ray Dalio, well, he's no longer involved, but, like, his team can't beat the market. Like, Green Black can't beat the market. Mm. Hamish Douglas and Magellan can't beat the market this year. <laughs> Who am I to think that I can beat the and market? of course, there's going to be people listening being like, I beat the market. <laughs> yeah, <but>. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Frazzis beat the market. There are definitely people that can. Mm. Um, but I think that core and satellite approach has well and truly been proven in the market that we're in now. And also beating it over a long period of time. That's the tricky part as well. You might be able to beat it this year, but being fortunate to be in a couple of stocks that jump 50% or thereabouts, but like if you try and do that over five or 10 years, it's very, very difficult. Yeah, trying to be the market when you've got like uh, small amounts of money and you're putting it in small amounts of stocks is easy as well. Mm. It's when you it's when you have a- 120 billion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's move on, Ren. Another big topic that is, it's one of those things where you talk about it once and then all of a sudden you start seeing it everywhere. Well, that's for me anyway. And we spoke about it on Ausbiz and- maybe a couple of months ago and now it's really I'm seeing it everywhere and that is discussion around the metaverse 
and uh, what it all means. This should be an offline gripe, but if you read Thought Starters, you would have heard about the metaverse about 12 months ago. <laughs> we, all know, we all know I don't read Thought Starters. <laughs> yeah, the metaverse. Well, given that you're hearing a lot about it recently, what is it? It's bloody confusing. That's what it is. That's what it is. And I want to I want to say at the top of this that um, in these episodes, I think this is going to be a topic that I want to come back to and keep exploring. I've uh, put it on my my list of things to try and get my head around in a much more comprehensive way. Uh, NFTs, how it all kind of ties together, because no doubt that if it does play out in the way that Zuckerberg is talking about, and a lot of people on online are talking about. It is truly transformational and it's going to be it's going to be quite massive really so I'm sure you've got your head around it but really it's the immersive internet as the Zuck explains it and Facebook is going hard on the metaverse yeah, that's it. Immersive internet. So I guess they uh, explain like I'm five way to explain it is um, traditionally the internet was mediated through your computer you had it set up in your living room or your study and you went and you sat down and you Still like on. pretty common. Then, then the uh, internet was mediated through your phone and it was on you all the time. So it was no longer like fixed in a location. You walked around with it and it was, but it was, it was ever present, but it was still mediated through that screen. What if it was ever present, but not mediated through a screen? What if it was just all around you? It was truly immersive and it was, I guess, ubiquitous. It was, it was always on. It was always present. Again, I get it. Explain more. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, all right, so I still have to wear something that makes it all around me or is everything around me connected to the internet? I, am I seeing things that are not real but generated by? Yeah, so uh, the other way to think of it is basically think of a seamless integration between uh, the physical world augmented reality, extended reality, and virtual reality, all into one seamless digital and physical world. That's so clear. <laughs> <laughs> clear as mud. So let's let's get practical and talk about because, you know, over the long term, this this could take thousands of different iterations. Mm, it could mm. be, it's gonna be ho- holograms, it yeah, could yeah, be yeah. like chips in your brain potentially, like could be a whole bunch of stuff. But but let's let's talk about what, what the metaverse is today in 2021 and why why it's relevant. So Zuckerberg in his recent Facebook earnings call spoke about how Facebook's future was in the metaverse and a number of different companies are making similar noise or positioning themselves in similar ways. Now, for years, uh, Facebook have been experimenting with virtual reality. They bought Oculus, I don't even know how many years ago, but years ago now, um, which is a, what, that VR headset virtual reality headset, yeah. But the reason that's relevant today is Facebook have announced a partnership with Ray-Ban, the sunglasses maker, and they are doing something that has – that many big tech companies before them have failed to do. Wearable glasses. Wearable glasses. (laughs) The first iteration of the metaverse for Facebook is going to be wearable glasses that are connected to the internet and that you can – you know, take photos and videos from that, you know, there's things like uh, 
you could look up Google Maps and so you could have the maps projected on the glasses and it could direct you Nothing as new, you're though, walking. Like Google glasses, well, snap. Well, hold on. Let's just take t- take one step back. So, you know, you could also do things like reply to messages, uh, all, all of that all of that stuff that you do on the internet through your phone, they want to be able to take it into your glasses. So that that's what their vision is. Suits me. But- I already have glasses. So. <laughs> <laughs> but that does... L- immediately lead to the question that you just asked. Google Glass and Snap Glasses. Mm, both uh, failed. Tell us about those experiments. Well, Snap was the first to try this many years ago in in some form, probably the first big dog to give it a crack, and they failed. Uh, you know, there was the whole privacy, I don't know if someone's looking at me taking photos, all that sort of jazz, so they kind of failed. Still very much playing in the augmented reality AI space, though. Google Glasses... They haven't released their latest update, have they? They've got some... So Google Glass was released to like Silicon Valley beta testers. Uh, there was a term that was coined, uh, glass holes. Glass holes. <laughs> glass holes. Meaning, <laughs> like, oh, uh, glass holes. <laughs> uh, and there were like Silicon Valley bars that were banning people wearing Google Glass and all this stuff. So Google pulled it and now they're using it for, I guess, like industrial applications and stuff like that, or they're, you know, where there's like a clear product market Yeah, fit, that makes know, sense. Where it's like um, if you're working in a warehouse and you need to figure out like where you need to pick, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. where the glass is and it can like direct you with augmented reality, stuff like that. So they, I think they've pulled back from the consumer side of it, but they're still just like testing and learning. But Facebook have looked at Snap, have looked at Google, have looked at their failures and said, we're going to do the same. <laughs> we're going to do the same thing and we're going to partner with Ray-Ban. Interesting that they partnered with them. I guess I can understand why. You know who's going to nail this? Apple. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to sit back and wait and then yeah, let everyone fail so and they're going to come out with these gorgeous-looking glasses yeah, that yeah, yeah. integrate with everything you've got. They they brought out the AirPods and everyone hated on them and now everyone loves them and they're just going to swoop in yeah. and just ha- say, guys... You all suck. We've got these glasses. <laughs> We've got these glasses, and everyone's gonna be like, "Yo, yeah, that is you absolutely nailed it." Yeah. Well, people are saying that part of the reason that Snap and Google failed was their glasses just looked bad, and so people are giving uh, Facebook credit for partnering with Ray Ban because they're like, "Well, they'll they'll look cool at least." To confront some of the concerns around being able to be filmed and pe- like take photos when. No one knows. Like, you're wearing glasses right now. I don't know if you're taking a photo of me if you're wearing Google glasses. Apparently, there's, like, a light that goes on when you're recording or taking photos. I don't know if that's going to be enough to, like, quell these concerns, but um, that's sort of their build. But really, Facebook are making the bet that the world is ready and that the world wasn't ready before, but the world is now ready for this. I'm ready. I think it's really exciting. I think we're going into, a you know... The next 10 years with this stuff is just, again, going to probably be such an advance on the last 10. We're going to be doing things that are just like, what the hell? You know, we're going to, I'm going to have glasses on the golf course. It's going to be telling me how far away my shot is. It's probably going to give me a path on the green for, <laughs> for my putting, you know, when you press A on Tiger Woods Golf. I think that the challenge is, though, switching off now is just going to be even more difficult with this. You know, the more that we immerse ourselves in internet and immerse ourselves with connecting our lives to all this stuff, um, moving away and having downtime is just going to be super difficult, I think. And, um, and I think the third point for me is that it's just another example of how these big 
tech companies just keep churning out growth is just they are able to invest in all of these things and just keep creating new product and compounding and like that's why they're the, the, the big dogs at the top of the pile at the moment and mm. will continue to do so I think for the next 10 years. Yeah, and I think the ability to make big bets and fail and, uh, you know, make enough bets that enough of them succeed – is a hallmark of these companies that is probably not something we ever saw from the top end of town in years past. Um, I, I was having a look at it and there have been some monumental failures for all the tech companies. I mean, Microsoft is ridiculed for like the Windows Phone and the Microsoft Zune and stuff like that. Apple's had some big failures, especially um, pre-iPhone and, you know, when Jobs left and stuff like that. Uh, there was, there's been some fa- the spectacular failures, um, you know, everyone at Google has failed with social and messaging for like 20 years, basically since they've existed. Um, everyone, all of these companies make big bets and fail. And, you know, Facebook, maybe this will work, maybe this won't, but um, it's it's a fascinating one to track. And I think whether or not Facebook succeed with the Ray-Ban glasses, this metaverse conversation is a conversation that as investors we should be absolutely should be across. This yeah. is the next generation of the internet. It yeah. is going to be everywhere. It's going to be ubiquitous. It's going to be immersive. How and what that looks like and when that really comes to the fore, um, I guess remains to be seen. But as investors, this is this is something that we're early on compared to like the rest of the world. And it's worth paying attention to. We'll, we'll include in our show notes this article. So Matthew Ball is a VC in Silicon Valley, um, and he's become kind of like a de facto thought leader in in this space. We'll include one of his articles in the show notes so people can go and read more um, if they want to. If they want to, I guess, get their head around this metaverse conversation. Yeah, too right, Ren. I, as I said at the top, this is a topic that I want to keep exploring. So. Stay tuned as we continue to track the progress of this. Now, to close out, um, final news piece is around uh, Bitcoin. Can't have a, an, a, an episode without talking about Bitcoin. And the big question is, can it reach 500K? Yeah, now, <laughs> click, clickbait headline aside, the reason I wanted to include this was because I heard Kathy Wood, who, for people who are unfamiliar with the name, uh, future guest on Equity Mates, if uh, we can get her to reply to us, and current um, uh, current CIO of uh, Arc Invest. They make a number of ETFs that invest in, I guess, like a lot of technology companies. You know, Kathy Wood is probably the most famous Tesla bull. She's a Bitcoin bull. She's a Square bull. Um, she's she's really bullish on, I guess, the future of a lot of these tech companies. She was interviewed and uh, there's a clip uh, where she spoke about Bitcoin reaching 500K that I want to play. So let's listen to that and then let's chat about it. If we're right and uh, companies continue to diversify their cash into something like Bitcoin and uh, institutions, institutional investors start allocating 5% of their funds towards, uh, uh, I'll just say Bitcoin for right now because we did that, we framed it for Bitcoin, could be for other cryptos as well. Um, We believe that the the price uh, will be tenfold of where it is today. So instead of 45,000, over 500,000. 
So there you go. If companies and institutions all just put 5% of their money into Bitcoin, the price of one Bitcoin will go from 45,000 USD to five over 500,000 USD. What is Bryce Lesky, Bitcoin bull, think of that? <laughs> it's not an argument that um, or a, a bull case that I haven't heard before, but it's just a big if. What if they put it into something else? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like what if they put it into Ethereum or what if they choose to all start piling into gold or what if they all just start piling into commercial real estate? Well, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like- yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad that you're saying that because I was worried that you would be like uh, taking the same approach as that. But the, the logic is weak there. The, the logic is incredibly weak. What if everyone put 5% of their balance sheet into anything, it would go to the moon? What if everyone put five? What if every uh, institution put five percent of their money into platinum, mm. into Commonwealth bank shares, mm. into equity <laughs> mates? Into equity <laughs> mates. <laughs> the, 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 the question shouldn't be what would happen if. The question should be how likely is it that? Well, yeah, that yeah, yeah, and be- that's what's not answered because the question, the answer to the question, what would happen if, is obvious but not important. Yeah, the question, the the important question is how likely is it that? And and obviously there are some companies that have put some of their treasury into Bitcoin, and some institutions are getting some exposure to Bitcoin. But that is very different to making it a store of value that every institution and every endowment and every pension fund in the world is is going to put money into. Yeah, and. I'm not closely following every institution and every company around the world and what they're doing with the reserve cash on their balance sheets, but it feels like the headlines that were being made, say, six, 12 months ago when you had the Teslas and the uh, micro strategies putting uh, their cash into Bitcoin, we're not seeing any of those headlines at the moment. We're not seeing large institutions, at least I'm not anyway, could be wrong, but not seeing as much as that, as much of that sort of news stories coming through. So the likelihood it feels of this trend of everyone putting 5% of their balance yeah, yeah, sheet yeah, yeah. is uh, <laughs> is waning a little. <laughs> so the reason that uh, Bitcoin Twitter got very excited about that, uh, that 500K number, is if Bitcoin reaches 500K, it will have a larger market cap than gold. Right, so it's just a, a marker for them to be like. Well, it's just like that's a that's a big milestone. That's massive, like yeah. B- Bitcoin has crossed some pretty incredible mi- milestones in terms of its market cap relative to other things. I think it it may not be bigger than silver now, but it crossed silver. I'm pretty sure, and you know it's right up there in terms of like the biggest companies listed around the world. But the gold market cap is one that you know for people who see Bitcoin as a store of value, gold is the historical store of value. So if Bitcoin can cross gold, that would that would be exciting for a lot of people who who are Bitcoin believers. It's just a funny it's it's funny logic. Like you you imagine if I came on Equity Mates and gave you the thesis uh, today. I'm pitching Square. Because I believe that if every company in the world put 1% of their <laughs> yeah. treasury into Square stock, uh, Square would be a trillion dollar company. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, get off the show. <laughs> and the people who are big Bitcoin believers will be yelling at us right now being like, but there are people that are answering the how likely is it that question. But my problem is that that isn't the conversation that's put forward in these yeah. online spaces, on Bitcoin Twitter, on Bitcoin Reddit and stuff like that. The the price conversation is the, the conversation that's put forward, not the technology or the store of value or the enabling cross-border payments or, you know, any of those reasons why companies might 
store some of their treasuries in Bitcoin. That That's not the conversation we're saying. No. Well, Ren, just like the metaverse, I'm going to keep tracking the price action of Bitcoin and who's putting 5% of their balance sheet in and can, we'll can continue. I, so, I know, I know you're wrapping up, but I just want to tell you one funny story about crypto that came out this week. Um, did you see the Walmart Litecoin story? No. So, <laughs> Litecoin is a crypto that uh, was big in the 2017 boom. Haven't seen a lot of it since, but I'm sure it's ticking along there. Um, someone released a fake press release saying that Walmart will now start accepting Litecoin. And, no way, shut up. And not and and the, like there were media agencies that picked it up and thought it was legit. And to the point where Walmart eventually had to come out and refute it. Um, but the price of Litecoin Just shot up. Skyrocketed, no yeah. way. <laughs> Interesting. Well, maybe we'll, um, yeah, I mean, we can't start releasing fake press releases for some stocks. But I, I, reckon it's, <laughs> I reckon it's bad for crypto markets generally. Like the reason that we haven't seen a Bitcoin ETF yet is partly because people are worried that mar- those markets can Just be manipulated, manipulated too easily and yeah. so they don't want to wrap it into an ETF structure. Things like this, a fake press release that sends, crypt- sends this crypto to the moon is, is not good. Uh, a good case study in crypto markets can't be manipulated. Yeah, full of trolls, the crypto world. Anyway, we have reached the end of our episode. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Ran four big topics that we covered. Stay tuned for uh, for next Monday as we continue to cover what's going on in markets and uh, what's really interesting us on our investing journey. So the uh, the content doesn't stop there, though. You can find us all over the internet. We will be in the metaverse. Um, <laughs> we'll be there in the metaverse at some point. Hit us up with an email, contact at equitymates.com. We're on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. Join our Facebook discussion group as well. And also make sure you check, check out our brand new website, equitymates.com. Plenty going on there. Uh, all our watch lists, a bunch of resources, books, you name it. Uh, and yeah, please do leave us a five-star review on your podcast player. If you can, um, we would greatly appreciate it. So Ren, as always, we'll um, chat stocks next week. Sounds good. Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.